You know that your labour in the Lord is not in vain. Most days I wake up thinking uh, about what good I can do that day as I seek to labour with the Lord. And I ask God to help me do that good. I usually don't give a thought to eternal life that lies ahead for us. I just think about the day ahead. But every now and again, I feel things are so awful, so bleak, that with focus and passion, I pray, come, Lord Jesus, come. Come and remake the heavens and the earth and bring all the suffering and misery to an end. Uh, This can happen when I'm with a person who is really damaged or broken by circumstances or by chronic disease or mental health problems, when I cannot imagine what it would be like to be them each day. And with love and compassion, I really think that Jesus' return is the best option. Something we heard in both our readings today. It can happen when a relationship is broken and misunderstandings spiral out of control and I wonder how things can ever be put right again. Sometimes it's when I add up the denial and inaction over climate change, the endless conflict in the Middle East, profoundly stupid and cruel wars like Ukraine and the threats around Taiwan, and the dishonesty and selfishness and hypocrisy of some politicians, not just in one country but in every country. And my thoughts are darkest when confronted with the simple denial of truth. I think that's probably the thing that gets me down most. I know that nothing is beyond God, but it seems he does not fix broken people and huge problems that often. Uh, For all the good things that happen, the world is broken and will be broken until Jesus returns. So I pray, come Lord Jesus, come. Sometimes I'm amazed and humbled when someone for whom life is so hard says that they still see God helping them in their lives and are deeply thankful for his mercies. And I think, you know God better than I do. After a while, God snaps me out of it and I go back to being more thankful and hopeful. That's my general thing, but every now and again, it just, come Lord Jesus, come. But what would it be like uh, if we didn't have the prospect of eternal life? If the world today was all we could look forward to? In my atheist days, that is what I thought. But I was young and fit and arrogant and didn't give a thought, or at least a lot of thought, to autoimmune diseases and dementia and intergenerational poverty or intergenerational grief or the many things that make life hard for people we rarely see. Now my eyes are more open, the promise of eternal life is a great comfort. Sometimes because we are so familiar with with things we find in the New Testament, we think they must have been part of the belief system of the people of Israel. For example, a question that most humans ask, 
is what happens next? Or put another way, is there life after death? And you can look at every culture and they've all dealt with that issue. The Egyptians built their pyramids and uh, there are all sorts of extravagant burial uh, rites in many cultures addressing that question, what happens next and how do we prepare for life after death? We Christians know this. We may not know a lot about what heaven will be like, but we know it exists, for where else is Jesus Christ? And, and we know he will bring it to earth one day, perhaps this afternoon. The phrase eternal life gets mentioned at least 42 times in the New Testament, and the idea of life after death with God forever gets mentioned a number of other times. We are well conditioned to the idea of physical resurrection, there, that there is new life in eternal bodies. We say it in our creeds uh, every week. We hear it at least 43 times in the New Testament. If we combine the references to eternal life with the references to resurrection, we have at least 85 references to what happens next and many other related ideas like the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven. In the New Testament, we can't miss God's provision for us in the age to come. Uh, and that's a wonderful comfort and blessing. And we may think it was the same for the God's people in Old Testament times. And we would be wrong. Judging from most of the Old Testament, the hope and expectation of faithful Israelites was that when someone died, they would be buried with their ancestors. That was the hope and fate of Jacob and Joseph and the kings we read about in the books of one and two kings, to be buried with their ancestors. The only afterlife mentioned in the Old Testament is Sheol, another word for the pit or destruction, a realm at best of sleepy, shadowy existence in the depths of the earth. For the people of Israel, life after death was not generally seen as the focus of God's blessing. God's blessing was shalom in this life. Not just peace, but prosperity and abundant crops and offspring and good times. The blessing the people of Israel seemed to have looked for most was things in this life. With only some shadowy disembodied communion after death. There are hints of something more. Many will know the closing words of Psalm 23. After we've gone through the darkest valley, the psalmist says to God, Surely uh, your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. But there's no mention of resurrection there, or, or a new age, a remaking of the heavens and earth. And you may know of the value of the dry bones in Ezekiel 37, where there is a vision of, of a valley of dry bones being brought back to life. And the prophet Ezekiel, when speaking of the bones taking on new flesh and life, spoke these words from the Lord. I will put my spirit in you and you will live and I will settle you in your own land. But again, no mention of heaven coming to earth. 
And it's not until page 792 in our church Bibles that we even reach Psalm 23, and not until page 1315 that we get to Ezekiel 37. And there are a couple of other vague references in the books of Psalms and Isaiah, but precious little else about what happens next. The image of the Messiah in the Old Testament was a king who would reign forever, not of the Jesus that we know. We know the Messiah is the Son of God come to live with us, die for us, and open up the door to eternal life for us. We know what resurrection looks like because we have multiple stories of the resurrection of Jesus, the first fruits of the resurrected life that lies ahead for us, re-embodied. Those wonderful words in 1 Corinthians 15. In our passage today, uh, in the closing chapter of Daniel, we actually see the clearest reference to resurrection in the whole of the Old Testament. God had been encouraging his people through the stories of Daniel and his friends and through the visions and dreams Daniel received. He had reminded his people that God stood by the people who were faithful to him. God would deliver them from the suffering and persecution that they were experiencing and, uh, under their foreign overlords. And here we see the clearest vision in the Old Testament that their suffering would not be in vain. They had more to look forward to some than to some shadowy existence in the bowels of the earth in Sheol. We read, multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to everlasting life, others to shame and everlasting contempt. Those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens and those who lead many to righteousness, like the stars forever and ever. And when we hear these words of, da of Daniel, our minds may skip forward to the second reading today from Paul's letter to the Corinthians, first letter. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and many of you who know Handel's Messiah will be going, yes, 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 let's sing it. The trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we will all be changed. For the perishable must clothe themselves with imperishable and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable have been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. That's what we know happens next. And there's definitely a connection between that and what we read about in the last chapter of Daniel. But the people who first received and read the book of Daniel, probably in the second century before Jesus' death and resurrection, were not told about Jesus in any way, about what resurrection looks like. And in Daniel's initial audience didn't know about the first coming of Jesus. They certainly didn't know what, was, uh, what we know about his triumphal second coming, when he will bring heaven to earth and remake the heavens and earth, and we will get our new eternal resurrection bodies. 
Let's look at the opening words of Daniel 12. Oops, that's not what I wanted. I must have gone somewhere else. Should have had those slides up. Anyway, at that time, Michael, the great prince who protects your people, will arise. There will be a time of distress such as has not happened from the beginning of nations until then. But at that time, your people, everyone whose name is found written in the book, will be delivered. When was this going to happen? What time? The time referred to at as that time? It's in the previous chapter, in chapter 11, Daniel recounts visions he had of the kings of Persia and Greece bringing untold suffering to the people of Israel with irresistible armies who would kill, capture, burn and plunder. And we read uh, at 11.36, a, a king, not Jesus, who will do as he pleases and he will exalt and magnify himself above every god and will say unheard of things against the god of gods. He will be successful until the time of wrath is completed for what has been determined must be in place. He will show no regard for the gods of his ancestors or for the one desired by women, nor will he regard any god, but will exalt himself above them all. You can tell that's not Jesus. It's some earthly king. And it goes on like that for another 10 verses until we hear, yet he will come to his end and no one will help him. And then we start our chapter and read, at that time, Michael. The archangel Michael would provide protection for God's people who received this message in the second century BC. And we've met the king referred to here before. Alex mentioned the Greek saluted King Antiochus Epiphanes uh, a couple of weeks ago. He ruled Israel from 175 BC until his death in 164 BC. And he not only plundered and exploited the people of Israel, he also tried to destroy the Jewish faith. He forbade observance of food laws and rituals and festivals and desecrated the temple in Jerusalem. And the message that the people were receiving at that time was, hang on, hang on, if you survive through this, good things will happen for you. So during the lives of the people Daniel was writing to, a heavenly prince called Michael would emerge to protect God's people. And the writer is not saying the long-awaited Messiah would come to earth to bash up the Greek overlords. The work of the Archangel Michael would be done in the heavenly realms. There a battle was going on that matched the battles being fought on earth, a battle between God and his heavenly host on one side and the forces of evil on the other. The deliverance Michael would deliver from heaven would either be preservation through the earthly suffering, the days mentioned at the end of that reading, or, or, or more likely the ultimate deliverance from the death spoken of in the couple of verses uh, after the reference to Michael. There are a number of references in the Bible to 
uh, in the Jewish scriptures to the book of life, including Isaiah 4.3. Uh, it's, a, it's a book that God keeps all the names of whom will live with him forever. And as I don't want you to spend the next few minutes wondering if your name is in it, if your trust is in Jesus as your Lord and Saviour, it is. And if you want your name to be in it, all you need to do is trust Jesus as your Lord and Saviour. So don't get distracted from what Daniel is saying here. Okay? Uh, The heavenly being who spoke to Daniel was not talking about a temporary restoration of Israel. He was talking about everlasting life. Multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to everlasting life, others to shame and everlasting contempt. Uh, And who are those who will be granted this eternal life? Uh, And this is worth listening to. Those who are wise. In the Bible, the wise are always those who draw on the wisdom of God to walk in his ways. And the wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens. And those like the wise who lead many to righteousness will shine like the stars forever and ever. Now, in the years since Jesus died and rose, those who are wise are those who love Jesus as their Lord and Saviour and follow him. And before that, it was those people who trusted and obeyed the God who they knew through the writings of the Old Testament and tried to live in obedience to him by repentance and faith. Daniel 12 is the only place in the Old Testament where the phrase everlasting life is used. I find that fascinating. How did the people keep going for all those thousands of years? But they did. Because as we sang in our second song, God will hold you when you trust him. Uh, The reference to everlasting life comes so late in the biblical history of the people of Israel. But, But it is there. God had not been patient with his people since the days of Adam and Eve's rebellion in the Garden of Eden just so they could survive for some shadowy post-death experience in Sheol. He had cared for them and loved them and held them in his hands and guided them so they could enjoy everlasting life. We might ask, why so late? Uh, I can think of a number of reasons, uh, two that come to mind uh, are related. One is that Daniel, in Daniel we find a faithful man who persevered to the end. And as I mentioned last week, there, there weren't a lot of them in the Old Testament. The second is that Daniel had just prayed a mighty prayer of repentance on behalf of the whole nation. If you were here last week, you would have heard it. He prayed it not for himself, but for the whole nation. So we see that with faith and repentance comes unimaginable blessing. Life to the full, not limited by time. That's the idea of everlasting life. Not that it just goes on and on and on and on and on and on and on, but it's a totally different quality of existence that isn't limited by time. We can never be bored. We can never be prepared for doing something else because we're with the Lord. Well, the message of Daniel 
for his first audience was that Antiochus was wise in intrigues and grasping for stars and would ultimately fail. But those who are wise and follow God, who do not reach for the stars, but receive the gift of shining like stars by God's grace, will enjoy God not only in human lifetime, but in eternity. And then Daniel receives a final vision of two others speaking across a river to a man clothed in linen who was above the waters. Now, it sounds weird, but the message is clear. It will be some time before this final judgment is given. So, so what are we to make of this? Uh, I know when we look at the lives and faith of the first disciples and the sacrifices they made, we can be inspired by them. Paul's good humour in the face of physical discomfort, suffering, rejection and multiple disasters, and Peter's passion for the early Christian churches in modern-day Turkey, despite the persecution that came from Jews and then Romans. And we read about the ministries of all the other saints mentioned in the Acts uh, of the Apostles and in the other letters, and we can be really inspired by them. But I'm also inspired by the wise people of Israel who lived through the exile in Babylon and the oppressive rule of Persia, Greeks, and finally Rome. We've been reading about that, how people like Daniel and his friends kept going because of their faith and trust in God. And I'm inspired that when Jesus came, there were still people who met in synagogues, went to the temple, who gathered for the festivals and who wanted to listen to Jesus, who spoke words of love and hope of their God. God had been faithful. He had fulfilled the promises made here in this chapter 12. He had preserved his people. Uh, So it's books like the book of Daniel that kept them going, listening to God, trying to be God, uh, trying to be wise. Uh, And the whole book of Daniel has provided encouragement to us to trust God, to be as innocent and faithful as Daniel, and God will deliver us in the end. In Daniel, the end is yet indistinct, just the phrases everlasting life and shining as stars. But when you know the God who stands behind those promises, you know it is worth waiting for. And we've seen more cause for hope in the New Testament. Uh, We know of Jesus' resurrection and the clearer picture of eternal life in passages like our second reading. There are still lots of details we do not know. If you read the book of Revelation, you will know that it's only because we do not have the language to describe what it will be like in the new age for Jesus that holds us back from knowing much more about it. There are images of a crystal city and a road of gold, but the image that appeals to me most is that of a remade heavens and earth, a new and better Eden, but even that is hard to put into words. The link with the time of Daniel is that it is God who promises us eternal life. And he is always fighting for his people. 
Michael in the heavenly realms, and Jesus on the cross. Daniel kept going even though he had far less of an idea of what comes next than we do. And we can learn from that. For when walking with God in obedience to God, that was reward enough. And likewise for us, knowing Jesus and walking in obedience to him each day is its own reward. However troubled and bleak the world seems, God still loves us and will hold us and care for us and has a wonderful future in store for us. Shall we pray? Our gracious and loving Heavenly Father, we thank you for honouring Daniel's faith throughout his life and at the end sharing with him and the suffering people of Israel this vision of what lies ahead. Please keep us in our faith so that we may live wisely and shine like stars. We pray in the precious name of Jesus. Well, let's stand now and sing of the greatness of our God.